Okay, thank you so much, brothers and sisters in the faith, for joining us in our Bible study for today. So our topic is the question, did the Iglesia de Cristo lose in a debate discussing the topic of the Trinity? Like I said, uh, we're going to go through a portion of this debate between Dr. James White and Dr. Uh, Jose or Joe Ventilacion, a minister of the Iglesia de Cristo. The topic of the debate was, who is God? And it's centered around the idea that Jesus Christ, Yahushua HaMashiach, is the second person of the Trinity, that he is also God in, in nature or in state of being. And so there was a, a back and forth between the two. And we're going to look at a portion of that debate. We can't go through the whole thing because it's a pretty lengthy debate. But in future episodes of the BQA, we're going to go through segment by segment because we want to also look at the other side point of view or perspective when it comes to Christology and when it comes to their belief in the Trinity. However, before we go ahead and look at a portion of this debate, we need to first understand, well, what is our belief about Yahushua HaMashiach? Now, to answer this part of the question, uh, we will turn to Brother Ding for the answer. Brother Ding? Good evening, friends and brethren. The topic of our discussion is our belief about our Lord Yahushua. Is Yahushua God or man or God-man at the same time? From the very beginning, beloved brethren and friends, the three major religions of the world, namely Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, we're all one in their stand about the absolute oneness of God. As written in the book of Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahuwah our God, Yahuwah is one. So there was no problem in so far as the doctrinal belief that there is only one God as taught by our Lord Yahushua himself. Enter now the Catholic religion. In an article, the title of the article is Introduction to the Catholic Religion, Beliefs, Practices, and History from the website Learn Religions. This is written. The Catholic religion was established in the Mediterranean region during the first century CE by a small group of Jewish men and women, one of several sects, which were all bent on reforming the Jewish faith. Let's put an emphasis to that phrase, reforming the Jewish faith. More than 2,000 years after Yahushua ascended to heaven, the debate, discussions, beliefs about the nature of Christ still persists. Unfortunately, for those with inquisitive minds longing for the truth, 99 out of 100 articles, books, opinions written about this topic were in defense of a doctrine that is nowhere found in the Holy Scriptures. The teaching about the deity of Yahushua was formulated in the Council of Nicaea 
is now the city of Iznik in Turkey in 325 AD. 54 years later, the inclusion of the Holy Spirit as God in the triune God concept was completed in the year 379 AD at the Council of Constantinople, now is Istanbul, thus giving birth to a man-made doctrine called the Holy Trinity. This is long after the Lord Yahusha ascended to heaven. Hence, the planting of the said man-made doctrine in the hearts and minds of humanity has taken its roots since time immemorial. It is no wonder that today, majority of the so-called Bible scholars, theologians, with masters in scriptural studies, whenever they speak about spiritual imperatives, it revolves merely around or is predicated solely on what the Trinity doctrine teaches. In our study today, beloved brethren and friends, we will debunk the teachings of the Trinity doctrine through the use of the teachings of God and Christ written in the Holy Scriptures. Let's begin with a question about the true nature of Christ. What is the true nature of Christ according to his own declaration? Not according to us, but according to our Lord himself. In the book of John, chapter 8, verse 40, this is what we can read. But now you are trying to kill me, a man, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. What is the true nature of Christ according to his own declaration? He said, you are trying to kill me, a man. Yahusha is a man based on his own declaration about himself. There should be no other teaching clear, clearer than this, which the Lord himself declared long ago. How about the apostles? Having learned from the Lord himself, what did the apostles of our Lord Yahusha teach about the nature of the Son of God? In the book of 1 John chapter 2, Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yahusha Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Yahusha Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Having learned from the apostles himself, what they taught here is that those who will teach that Christ, Yahusha, has come in the flesh is of God. Contrary to that teaching, it's not of God. Let's, let's read also the, what's written in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ, Yahusha. 
very clearly, beloved brethren and friends, the apostles of our Lord Yahusha taught that Yahusha is a man. Nowhere in their teaching suggest or even imply that our Lord has dual nature, that of man and God. Apostle John even went further in declaring that every spirit that does not confess that Yahuwah, Yahusha Christ come in the flesh, referring, of course, to a human being, is not of God. Our Lord Yahusha is a man in a state of being. He is the only mediator between God and man. What other verse in the scriptures will prove, beloved brethren, very strongly that Yahusha is a man? Listen to what is written in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During his life on earth, Yahusha prayed to God, who could save him from death. He prayed and pleaded with loud crying and tears, and he was heard because of his devotion to God. What other verse will prove very strongly that Yahusha is a man? Here in the passage that we read, Yahusha prayed to the true God, his father. Why did he pray to his father? Because his father is the only one who could save him from death. Remember the passage in the book of Matthew? Our Lord prayed, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. How did he plead? It says, with loud crying and tears. And what was the result of his pleadings? He was heard because of his devotion to God. My friends and brethren, there is no God that offers devotion to another God and yet maintain that they are equal. Only those who taught a new doctrine maintain that they are equal, even though Yahusha himself declared in John 10 that the Father is greater than him. On the other hand, what is the true nature of our God, Yahuwah? In the book of John, chapter 4, verses 23-24, Listen, beloved brethren, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What is the true nature of our God, Yahuwah? Beloved brethren and friends, God is his spirit. This is his true nature, for which those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There isn't any scriptural basis to believe that a God could have a dual nature 
that of a spirit and human. Is there any truth to the unscriptural belief that Yahusha has a dual nature, that of God and man at the same time? Is God a man? Let's read here the answer in the book of Hosea 11 and the verse is 9. I will not act on my burning anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. I am God, not a human. I am the Holy One among you, and I will not come to you in anger. Is there any truth to that unscriptural belief that Yahusha has a dual nature, that of God and man? The verse says very clearly, God said, I am God, not a human. God, beloved brethren, is not a man because he is not a human. What about what's written in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19? It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Beloved brethren, these passages in the Holy Scriptures are just among those that the framers of the Trinity doctrine completely ignored. That God is not a man because he is not human. It doesn't get any clearer than this, my friends and brethren. Let us not forget that the true God knows no other God, as mentioned so many times in the Old Testament. However, differentiated from God in so, so many verses in the New Testament, Yahusha, clearly look up to our God, Yahuwah, as his God. What is the clear proof that Yahusha looks up to the Father as his God? This is what is written in the book of John chapter 20 verse 17. Don't cling to me, Yahusha told her, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. What is the clear proof that Yahusha, our Lord, looks up to the Father as his God? In this passage, beloved brethren, it is clear that Yahusha was looking up to Yahuwah as his Father and his God, thus negating the Trinitarian belief that Yahusha is also God. However, in their scriptural concept, they insisted that when Yahusha uttered these passages, he was a man in state of being. But when, when he ascended to heaven, he took the nature of a spirit or he returned to being a spirit because he is God. Unfortunately, there is no single verse in the Bible that can prove their erroneous belief beyond reasonable doubt. 
it is unthinkable that based on the verses that we read about Yahusha and Yahusha's Yahusha and Yahuwah's state of being, it is so hard to swallow that Yahusha was a man while on earth but became God in heaven. Yes, he was a man while on earth, but he remained and still a man in heaven. But what if we suppose that Yahu, Yahusha became God in heaven? The question now is, uh, if Yahusha became God in heaven, could he still have acknowledged another God? Why are we asking this, my friends and brethren? Because of the premise that the true God knows no other God. So let's read the answer here in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. For what even left, for even what is left, is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. We suppose that Yahu Yahusha became God in heaven. But this passage tells us very clearly otherwise. Because the one speaking here is Yahusha himself. The one who was the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. This verse that we just read, beloved brethren, is one of the Lord's rebuke to the church in Sardis. What did Yahusha say in conclusion? He said, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Clearly, our Lord Yahusha did not become God in heaven, but still look up to the Father Yahuwah as his God. Yahusha is now in heaven, specifically seated at the right-hand side of the Father. Did he become God? No. Otherwise, there will be two of them there. Is there a verse in the Bible about Yahusha's state of being when he was at the right-hand right -hand side of the Father? Yes. What verse? Psalm 80, verse 17. It says, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Yahuwah, seated on the right hand side of God, is still a man. Now, something was messed up. At the Council of Nicaea, beloved brethren, 
what unbiblical word was added that became the definitive statement of the Christian belief? Homo osseous. Not sure of the pronunciation. I looked at it, but it says homo osseous. Homo osseous in Christianity, the key term of the Christological doctrine formulated at the first ecumenical council held at Nicaea in 325 to affirm that God the Son and God the Father are of the same substance. The resulting Nicene Creed also contained the word homo osseous and became the definitive statement of orthodox belief. The firm conclusion of the Council of Nicaea regarding the Aryan controversy was that the church needed to use precise language regarding the nature of Christ. As Pastor Mark Minter explains, the Greek word used in the original statement of belief from Nicaea was homo osseous, literally of the same substance, substance, which is the word that gets translated as consubstantial in the English version of the Nicene Creed. The idea that there was once when Christ was not, and that Jesus was somehow changed from his co-eternal being, were deemed heretical and anathema. And all the bishops had to sign their names, agreeing to the statement that Christ was consubstantial to the Father, or else be not only excommunicated from the church, but exiled from the empire. This is statements. Beloved brethren were taken from, you can see it in your screen, www.grunch.com, the messed up truth of the Council of Nicaea. And so it mentioned the Nicene Creed. So we will show you the Nicene Creed and the phrase consubstantial with the Father. Next slide, please. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I remember when I was in the elementary school, they, we, we, were, we were asked to memorize this. And there it is below, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. I don't know how they come up with this belief that the substance of the Father and the Son is the same. The word homoousius was conceived and added by the early Catholic Church Fathers. Accordingly, the Son is of one substance with the Father, being begotten and not made. In their own invention, Yahushua is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This, my beloved brethren, is the result of what was mentioned in our introduction earlier, that the Catholic re religion 
is one of several sects which were all bent on reforming the Jewish faith by introducing a new God in the person of our Lord Yahushua in total disregard of the scriptural teachings about his humanity and his own teachings identifying who the true God is. This is how the Catholic religion reformed the, Jew the Jewish faith by introducing another teachings outside of the Holy Scriptures. But since the Bible and not creeds is the final authority that we really esteem, the question now is, can we find homoousius in the Bible? The answer is no. Just as the word Holy Trinity is likewise nowhere found in the Bible. Why was Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, beloved brethren, was so apprehensive about the brethren believing in a teaching they did not teach? Let's read 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Yahusha other than the Yahusha we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you receive, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Apostle Paul was afraid. Why? Because just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, he said, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. There are those who will preach a different Yahusha than the one they preach. Here, beloved brethren, Apostle Paul just confirmed that someone will come to will come to the brethren during their time and will preach a Yahusha different from the one from the one Yahusha that they preach. Who is the guilty party? Who is the guilty party who introduced a new Yahusha? It's the early church fathers. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity is not biblical, beloved brethren. It was only invented by the early Catholic church fathers in a council inspired and initiated by a pagan in the person of Emperor Constantine. Yes, my friends, Emperor Constantine is a pagan. I am shocked at why the Catholic Christians before allowed a pagan to direct the fate of the entire Christendom. Accepting another gospel is the equivalent of deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. 
the framers of the Trinity doctrine have completely negated all the biblical pronouncements about the true God and our Lord Yahusha and relied heavily on a word that is nowhere found in the Bible. They created a doctrinal error and made it an absolute essential of the faith. Brethren and friends, why are we studying this? The answer is in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. We are being advised or counseled to work hard so that we can present ourselves to God and receive his approval. A good worker who correctly explains the word of truth, it means we have an answer to every question about our faith. As Apostle Peter said, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Prerequisite to correctly explaining the word of truth is to know the truth beforehand. This is the reason we conduct researches, Bible studies, worship services, not just to gain knowledge of Yahuwah and Yahusha, but also in order to test everything. As mentioned in Thessalonians, 521. In other renditions of the Bible, it says, prove all things and hold fast the right, meaning to retain only what is right. What is also our other purpose in exposing the error of the Trinity? We want to appeal to the senses of those who up to this very day still believe in the man-made doctrine of the Trinity. What happens if we are able to prove all things and retain only what is right? The book of Ephesians, the last verse, the last verse that we are going to read. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. What happens, beloved brethren and friends, if we are able to prove all things and retain only what is right? This is the reason we need to share this truth about the true God and our Lord Yahusha. Because uh, what so many people now know is just simply, is not just simply different, but totally opposed to the truth written in the Bible. Beloved brethren, the believers of the Trinity are our 
brothers and sisters, our parents, our relatives, our friends and loved ones. Apostle Paul in the book of Romans mentioned people who too are zealous for God, but their zeal is not according to knowledge. Why is their zeal not according to knowledge? It says since, they're, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Yes, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They invented a different doctrine. Why introduce a new Yahushua? Why add to what is written when we know that adding to what is written is not allowed? The Bible gave us everything that we need to know and do for our salvation, beloved brethren. Yahuwah is the true God. He is a spirit in nature. He is not man because he is not human. Yahusha is a man, not a God-man. God is not man and man is not God. Yahusha looks up to God as his father. His father is also our father. His God is also our God. He is still a man in state of being in heaven. So our parting words to you, my dear friends. Should we believe God and Yahuwah's teachings? Or would you rather believe a man-made doctrine? Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, uh, Brother Ding, for your presentation. It is quite clear that our King Yahushua is not himself God. He is not the second person of the Trinity. So something we want to make clear to everyone, although we teach that Yahushua is not God, it doesn't mean that we belittle our King Yahushua. We believe Yahushua is Lord. He is Savior, He is Mediator, He is the Logos, He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, He is the Ruler of all, and He is the only begotten Son of God, and through Him, human beings can obtain salvation. So we believe He is the Son of God, but nowhere in Scripture can you find that He is God the Son. Nowhere in Scripture can you find that He is the second person of the Trinity, because Yahushua himself says, in the passage read by Brother Ding earlier in the book of John, Yahusha clearly says, The Father, you alone are God. You are my Father and their Father, my God, and your God. So this is our biblical stance. This is our belief in the assembly of Yahusha. We reject the doctrine of the Trinity, but we accept what the Bible teaches about Yahusha and his function as the Logos by which all things are created. However, why is there this lingering belief amongst so many professing Christians that Yahusha is also God? And so we're going to look at some of the reasons why they believe that. This is why debate is a fruitful thing to kind of listen into because you gain insight and understanding of the other side. So we kind of have an idea of why people believe what they believe. And so many people, they reject uh, the uh, idea that Yahusha is not a part of the Trinity and believe in the Trinity. So we're going to look at this debate. This took place April 21st, 2017. So that's how many years ago? About five, no, about three years ago, maybe? You know, 
five years ago? You you do the math. Anyways, it happened several several years ago. It's a debate between Dr. James White and Dr. Jose Ventilacion. It's a two-hour-long debate, so we're obviously not going to be able to go through the entirety of the debate. As a matter of fact, for today, we're only going to look at one crucial segment in the debate. Now, two things of note when we study and look into religious debates, there's a, there's a, there's a pro and a con of debate. What's the pro when we study debate? Well, the pro is you can assess opposing arguments, right? Because when you're doing debate, you're going to listen both sides, not just one side, but also the other side. Sometimes when you strive and seek to understand the point of view of the other side, it kind of helps you develop your belief and why you believe what you believe. And so it's very fruitful to see what other people believe about the passage we study, because people tend to think in different ways. So that's one of the advantages of studying debate. We get to see the thinking from the other side. We kind of appreciate how they think that way, okay? The con, however, when you study religious debate is the outcome is not always determined by truth, but by who is the better debater. And so if one wins the debate, it doesn't mean what we are standing up for is the truth. Sometimes it's about how skillful the debater is. Sometimes it's about how much the debater knows. Sometimes it's about the instances where the debater kind of loses focus and doesn't know the correct understanding and doesn't have the appropriate answer. And so sometimes when one debater is better than the other, the truth doesn't always come out. It's like a lawyer, if you have a very fanciful and pretty good and skillful lawyer, he can turn a criminal into a hero, right? And so it's all about the person. It depends on the personality of the debater. And so when you watch debate, it doesn't mean just because one person wins the debate that what they are debating for is actually what is the truth. So those are the pros and cons of debate. And so today we're going to look at this debate between Dr. White and Dr. Ventilacion. It's a two hour long debate. We're gonna look at one segment and this segment is pivotal. This is important because it was not properly addressed by Brother Jose Ventilacion in my estimation. There was a debate teacher who watched the debate and gave commentary on the debate and his conclusion was Dr. James White obliterated Dr. Jose Ventilacion. And one of the pivotal points in that debate is what we're gonna look into today, if that's okay with you. You see, sometimes we in the Iglesian Cristo, or former Iglesian Cristo, in the Assembly of Yahushua now, right? When we think of this doctrine that Yahushua is not God, we ask them, show me a verse where it says that Yahushua is God. And so we wait and we wait and we wait. Sometimes those we are speaking to will come across this passage of scripture that was used by Dr. James White, 2 Peter 1, 1 uh, down to 2. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Christ, uh, of Yahushua Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Christ or Savior Yahushua Christ. So that's what we have in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. How many here are familiar with this passage of Scripture? Because in this passage, in verse 1, it says, 
and mentions our God and Savior, Yahushua Christ. So this is a clear and explicit biblical passage that tells us Yahushua Christ is both God and Savior. And so if someone gives you this passage and tells you, there you go, we have a passage that clearly tells us Yahushua is Savior, Yahushua is our God. What would your response be? So this was a pivotal moment in the debate. And I'm going to show you how Brother Jose Ventilacion uh, responded to the question that was asked. This is a clip. You can watch the whole debate for yourself. And in future studies, we're going to go through the, all the different segments of the debate. But for today, we're going to focus on this one because this was pivotal. All right? All right, so that's verse 11. So up in verse 1, you have the exact same form, the exact same syntax. Okay. And yet, what it's who is it referring to? To the you hemon kaisoteros Jesu Christu. Here it's the exact same order, exact same words, except it's our God and Savior Jesus. Oh, okay, Christ. that's why I said to you it's just one. To me it's two. Our God. Grammatically, sir. Grammatically. If, well, if Peter. We, we, do not base, we do not base our doctrine or our teaching in the Church of Christ simply by means of grammar. So because the revelation it, of God in Scripture, you have something more than that. See, the, the point is, you're trying to impress everybody here that you're a Greek grammar. And you're trying to show to them. I'm not a them, Greek grammar. I, I assure you that. I mean, Greek, a, a Greek uh, a grammarian. Uh, let's just say Greek grammarian. Let's, let's okay. not get into this. Let's answer the question, uh, Okay. Okay, so that's the clip. And I don't know if you know this, but there was a very important, pivotal question that was asked by Dr. White that was simply brushed off by Dr. Jose Ventilacion. And I want to go through kind of like the, the transcript of that interchange between Dr. White and Dr. Ventilacion. Dr. White says, who is the God and Savior referring to in 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, which says our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the passage I read earlier, remember? 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. And so the question is, who is the God and Savior? And so Dr. Ventilation says, to you, it's just one. To me, it's two. So according to Brother Jose Ventilacion, in 2 Peter 1, 1, where it says, our God and Savior, it's referring to two beings, God and the Savior, Yahushua Christ. And so that was kind of like the response of Dr. Jose Ventilacion. Dr. White comes back and says, grammatically, sir, grammatically, of which... Dr. Vontelachon responds and says, we do not base our doctrine or teachings in the Church of Christ simply by means of grammar. And so when you are a judge listening to this debate and you hear an answer like that, we do not base our doctrine or teachings in the Church of Christ simply by means of grammar, what comes into your mind? doesn't know the answer. This is a pivotal point because that grammar-based question happens to be linked to a passage that explicitly says our God and Savior, Yahushua Christ. So it's very relevant. Yes, we don't derive theology from grammar alone. We look at the whole thing. We look at the grammar. We look at the context. We look at the biblical passage itself. Dr. White looked at the biblical passage. It says our God and our Savior Yahushua the Christ. And then he adds to that biblical passage a grammar rule. And based on the grammar rule, he asks uh, Brother uh, Joe Ventilacion about that. And then he says, we don't want to answer that question. 
right? Because our doctrine is simply, we don't base our doctrine in the Church of Christ by means of grammar. And so when you are a judge, and he gives an answer like that, and if you are a searcher looking for truth, and you hear an answer like that, of course, what are you going to think? Oh, Dr. White is correct. You have a biblical passage and a grammar based upon the passage that, conclu that concludes and teaches Yahusha is both God and Savior. So by evading a grammar-based question, doubts are planted in the minds of the listeners. And so they are more engaged in listening to what Dr. White has to say concerning the matter. And so he is establishing legitimacy for his argument. And so, beloved brethren, this is why debate can sometimes muddle the truth. Because if one doesn't know how to respond to the question about grammar, one might conclude there is a basis for believing that Yahusha is both God and Savior. So let's go ahead and take a look at 2 Peter 1.1 and kind of understand this grammar. Because he's speaking about grammar. According to the grammar, Dr. White says, Yahusha is both God and Savior. So this is the passage in question. 2 Peter 1, 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant, the apostle of Yahusha Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Yahusha Christ. And so when you read this passage, it's somewhat ambiguous because it can mean two things. Number one, are there two different beings? One, God. Two, Yahushua Christ, who is the Savior. That's one explanation. Another explanation is, is there just one being, Yahushua Christ, who is both God and Savior? That is the stance of Dr. White. What we believe in the assembly of Yahushua is the first one, that there are two different beings, God and Yahushua Christ, who is the Savior. Dr. White believes there's just one being, Yahushua Christ, who is both God and Savior. So when we look at the passage, you look at the highlighted name, Yahushua Christ. And so according to Dr. White, the grammar tells us that the phrase our God and Savior refers to Yahushua Christ. So that Yahushua is our God and Savior. Do you know what grammar he was referring to, he was alluding to, that he was using as a basis and asked a question to Brother Jose Ventilacion, according to the grammar, sir, the grammar, what can you say about who God and the Savior is? And so there's a rule in Greek grammar, it's called the Granville Sharp Rule. How many here have heard of the Granville Sharp Rule? We're going to go through the Granville Sharp Rule for today. Is that okay? How many of you like grammar? I think you will like this grammar. And so what is the Grammar Sharp Rule all about? I'm going to read something technical first, and then we're going to explain it, okay? This is the technical rule. This is what it says. When the copulative kai, what does that mean, copulative kai? It simply means connect the word, like and, or, and, when you connect two nouns together. When you connect two nouns of the same case, like nouns or uh, either substantive or adjective or participles of personal description, respecting office, dignity, affinity, or connection, and attributes, properties, or qualities, good or ill. If the article whole 
Do you remember that article of, H of in Greek? What is that again? The definite article, it is the. So when we are talking about a specific apple, we don't simply say apple, we say the apple. When we're talking about any apple, we say apple without the the, right? So the, the definite article ho kind of specifies and makes it specific. Okay, so if the article ho or any of its cases precedes the, the first, in other words, if there's a the in the first noun, and then there's an an and another noun, right? And it's not repeated in the second noun or participle. The latter always relates to the same person that is expressed or described by the first noun or participle. Do you get it? Probably not. And so we'll go through it again, but in simpler terms. We kind of take, we're gonna remove all the technicalities and kind of try to understand it in layman's terms. And so what it what does this rule mean? When two singular common nouns, okay, uh, used to describe a person, and those two nouns are joined by an additive conjunction, like the word and, and the definite article the precedes the first noun, but not the second noun, okay? Then both nouns refer to the same person. This principle of semantics holds true in all languages and so let's go through an example and then go through this rule remember if there is a the in front of the first noun but no the in front of the second noun then the qualities being described speak only of one being right but if there's two thes two definite articles then it speaks of two beings okay so far so good so for example here's a sample sentence we had lunch with the principal and the math teacher, Mr. Collins. And so when you read this sentence, you may have two possibilities. It could be an ambiguity. We had lunch with the principal and the math teacher, Mr. Collins. And so when you read this, what is your conclusion? Just by looking at the sentence structure. How is Mr. Collins the principal or the math teacher? Yeah. When you look at just the sentence itself, you know, when you look at it logically, okay, because it says we had lunch with the principal and the math teacher, Mr. Collins. And so when we apply the Granville Sharp rule, we look at the participle, I mean, the uh, definite article, right? There's a definite article in the first noun, the principal. We have the connecting word and, right? The math teacher another definite article and so when you have two definite articles preceding both nouns connected together by and what this means is mr collins is the math teacher but not the principal okay so there are two different people so there's mr collins the math teacher and a principal who is not identified by name okay why? Because there is a the in front of the math teacher. So it's very clear there are two beings, a math teacher and a principal. Okay, now let's take a look at another sentence, the same sentence, but this time let's remove the the in front of math teacher. This is what you have. We had lunch with the principal and math teacher, Mr. Collins. When you read this in natural English, what do you conclude? 
that Mr. Collins is both the principal and the math teacher because it doesn't have the in front of math teacher, right? And so when you look at the sentence structure, there is a definite article the in front of principal, but it's not in front of math teacher. So it's missing a definite article in front of the other noun. And so this tells us, according to the Granville Sharp rule, that Mr. Collins, right, is both the math teacher and the principal. Why? Because there is this missing definite article in front of math teacher, which means that Mr. Collins is both the principal and also the math teacher. This is called what again? The Granville Sharp rule. And so if we apply that rule with 2 Peter 1 1, this is the text that we have our God and Savior. Yahusha Christ. You might be asking, there is no definite article there. Actually, there is. It's just not translated in English. This is why when they make arguments like this, they have to go to the original text. This is why when Dr. White was showing this text, it was in Greek, right? Because in Greek, this phrase, our God and Savior Yahusha Christ, in English, you can't readily see the, uh, the definite article. But when you look at the Greek, this is how it looks like. There's our God and Savior, Yahushua Christ. Look at what is underneath God. You notice two words? There's a word theos, and there's also the word thon. The word thon is the. So in actuality, it should be our the God, right? And Savior, Yahushua Christ. When you look at Savior, uh, Yahusha and Christ, there's no the in front of any of those words, right? It's missing a the, but in front of God, there is a the. And so this should be translated in English, our the God and Savior, Yahusha Christ. But of course, we don't talk like that in English. That's why they kind of remove the word the. But in Greek, it's our the God and Savior, Yahusha Christ. Notice there is no the in front of Savior Yahushua Christ. There's none. And so what does that mean? Well, if there's no the in front of Savior Yahushua Christ, then Yahushua Christ is both God and Savior. So according to the Granville Sharp Rule, Yahushua is the one referred to as God and Savior because there's no definite article in front of Savior. You see it? Do you see why grammar matters? Do you see why that grammar-based argument is so important? One that you cannot simply dismiss away because it's attached to an explicit Bible verse that says that Yahushua is both God and Savior. And so if we don't know how to answer the grammar-based question, we're in a lot of trouble, right? And so we need to know how to kind of address that issue. So the grammar-based argument is something we cannot ignore because if you ignore that, then what's the purpose of studying the Bible? Because we're studying the, not just any grammar, we're studying the grammar of the Bible. And so for us to fully understand it and appreciate it, we need to look at the grammar. However, like what Brother Jose Ventilation said, we should not base entirely upon the grammar. We have to look at the book holistically, contextually, and look at the passage itself okay and so that's important in the debate throughout the whole debate 
uh, Dr. White constantly kept reiterating his principle when it comes to Bible study. Number one, sola scriptura. What does that mean? Scripture alone, right? And number two, uh, tota scriptura. What does that mean? All of scripture. This is why you cannot just rely on one passage in isolation. You have to look at the context and you have to look also the entire scripture as a whole for you to determine what is the correct interpretation or explanation of any given biblical passage. However, it doesn't mean we get to dismiss the grammar-based arguments. We have to look into that because that also serves a function and purpose. So how would we answer Dr. White? If he were to ask us, for example, how who is the our God and Savior referred to there? Well, I mean, according to the grammar, remember we said that? The grammar, sir, the grammar. So according to the grammar, using the Grandel Sharp rule, something that we can use in response to Dr. White is, well, how sure are you that that grammar that uh, Granville Sharp produced was applied in the New Testament, right? Because according to a Trinitarian, this is a Trinitarian, his name is Turner. This is what he has to say about the, uh, Gram the Granville Sharp rule. He says, unfortunately, at this period of Greek, we cannot be sure that such a rule is really decisive. Sometimes, sometimes the definite article is not repeated even when there is a clear separation in idea. And so when you look at 2 Peter 1, even though there's no the in front of Savior, there's a clear separation of the two beings that there's no need to actually put a repeated definite article. That's according to Turner, a Trinitarian scholar. And so he doesn't rely on the Granville Sharp rule. But for the sake of argument, let us look into the Granville Sharp rule and see whether or not it does conclusively teach us that Yahusha is both Christ or both God and Savior. You see, there's something we need to know about the Granville Sharp rule. What are they? There are limitations. The one who invented, the one who discovered the Granville Sharp rule gave limitations of its applicability. What are these limitations? There are more than three, but for our study today, make it simple. Here are three examples of limitations. There's no similar rule respecting names of substances considered as substances. Thus, we may say the stone and gold without repeating the article before gold, though we speak of two different substances. Okay, and so here's an example. The stone and gold are two different substances, but there's no need for you to add another T-H-E in front of the gold. You don't need to say the stone and the gold because it's clear under the circumstances that there's a distinction between regular stone and gold. And earlier, Brother Ding mentioned homoosius, homoosius or homoosius, right? It refers to the substance of God being the same substance as Yahushua, but there's no teaching in the Holy Bible about homoousius that they have the same uh, substance, okay? Number two, no similar rule applies to proper names. So if a proper name is included, then you don't apply the uh, Granville Sharp rule. 
Number three, nouns, which are the names of abstract ideas, like God or Savior, right, are also excluded. For as Locke has well observed, every distinct abstract idea is, is a distinct essence. So when we think of God, an abstract idea, is it in of itself a different type of substance than a, a savior, okay? So every distinct abstract idea is a distinct essence and the names which stand for such distinct ideas are the names of things essentially different. So according to the, the Greek grammar, not, yeah, the Greek grammar, according to the Greek grammar and according to the Granville Sharp rules, there are exceptions and limitations to its applicability, right? When two nouns are connected together by the word and, two nouns, like God and Savior, if the first has the article, the God, it is to be omitted before those which follow when they relate to the same person or thing. And it is not to be inserted when they, when they relate to different persons or things. And so if God and Savior are different, you insert the in front of Savior, right? So that you have a distinction, the God and the Savior. But if they're the same, then there's no the in front of Savior, except, this is when the Granville uh, Sharp rule doesn't apply, except when this fact is sufficiently determined by some other circumstance. The same rule exists respecting the use of the definite article in, English. And so what the Granville Sharp rule is telling us is it applies only in the right circumstance. There are circumstances when it no longer applies. When? When the circumstances make it clear that there's a separation between the two beings. Okay. So for example, I'm going to give you that example sentence that we had. We had lunch with the principal and math teacher, Mr. Collins, right? So we have the, it is the article the in front of principle, and it's missing the the definite article in front of math. And so what this tells us is Mr. Mr. Collins is both the principle and the math teacher. And so according to the, the rule, the uh, Granville Sharp rule, Mr. Collins is both the math teacher and the principal because it's missing the the in front of math teacher, right? But there's an exception to that rule. When the circumstances make it clear that the principal and teacher are two distinct vocations or two distinct and mutually exclusive um, vocations, then you don't need to add the, the, the word the in front of it. In other words, if there's a clear understanding that the principal cannot also be a teacher in your school. For example, you, you are in a school and it's clear to everyone in that school, if you're a principal, you're not a teacher. And if you're a teacher, you're not a principal, right? Then if that's the case, it's understood. If you're a principal, you're not a teacher. That's the, that's the case. You don't need to add the word T-H-E in front of math teacher because it's already understood that the principal and the teacher are two different beings. And so it doesn't apply. The Granville Sharp Rule doesn't apply. And so the Granville Sharp Rule is irrelevant when it comes to proving the Trinity. Because no ambiguity between Christ and God would arise in the minds of the readers due to the omission of the article. It can be omitted without a problem. 
Because in the first century, all the apostles, all the first century practice, uh, followers of our King Yahusha, they had a clear understanding that Yahuwah and Yahusha are different beings. This is why there's no need to apply the Granville Sharp rule. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it mentions having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Yahusha himself being the chief cornerstone. Does it mean the foundation is composed of a group of people who are both apostles and prophets? No, they're two distinct offices. But it doesn't, it doesn't have the the in front of the prophets, right? So it doesn't mean that just because it doesn't have a definite article in front of the prophets, that the group of people serving as a foundation are both apostles and prophets. They're two different kinds of offices. Okay, and so the Granville Sharp rule doesn't apply in Ephesians 2.20. Why? Because everybody knows. It's understood. It's obvious. They're two different offices. It's the same thing when it comes to Christ and God. No one would deny they're two different things. This is why the same rule, you can see that same rule all over the Bible. There's no need for a second article if no confusion would arise without it. The rule, therefore, begs the question. It can be made to apply only if it can be shown that an ambiguity would have arisen in the minds of the first century readers between Christ and God. Because the whole of scripture clearly shows the difference between Christ and God and that the difference would have been in the minds of the believers. And the Gamble Sharp rule is not a valid reason to make Christ God. This is why grammatically you can make an argument that Second Peter 1, verse 1, doesn't teach the Trinity because it begs the question. You cannot apply the Granville Sharp rule because it was evident that God and Christ were two different beings in the writings of the apostles, the writings of the gospel writers. It's different. Okay. And so that's, that's how you can respond. To the grammar grammar based question, do you see by responding like that, you erase any doubts, right? You break the foundation of this idea that Second Peter one one actually teaches that Yahusha is both Savior and God. And so once you settle the grammar based question, the grammar based argument, now we can go to the biblical argument, straight to the Bible. And to do that, all you really have to do is read the next verse. Right? So let's go back to 2 Peter 1, 1 through 2. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Christ Yahushua, of Yahushua Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Yahushua Christ. And so is Yahushua Christ being depicted here as one being who is both God and Savior? Or is there two beings here, God and Savior, Yahushua Christ? Based on what we've discussed so far, these are two beings, right? Two beings because of the difference between God and the Savior. However, what proves that? Because if one will insist, because there are those who are going to insist, no, the Granville Sharp still, the, the Granville Sharp rule still applies. Even if people understood the difference between God and Christ, there's this mystery of the Trinity because if in the mystery of the Trinity, in one God, there are three persons. 
And so there's this complexity in the idea of the Godhead. And so if they will insist, okay, if they will insist on the Granville Shop rule, you see the colon? Apostle Peter is going to explain whether or not this is two individual beings or if it's one being only. So all we need to do is read the next passage and it will explain to us, right? What does the next passage tell us? Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, <laughs> and of Yahusha, our Lord. And so in verse 2, Apostle Paul makes it evidently clear. There are two beings, one who is God and one who is Yahusha, our Lord. Now, what further proves they are two beings, even according to the Granville Sharp rule? Well, let's take a look at the Greek of this phrase, knowledge of God and of our Yahushua, and of Yahusha, our Lord. This is the phrase in English and in Greek. Notice in the word God, what do you see? The definite article in front of God. You see that? Right? And also in front of Lord, depicting Yahushua. And so there are two definite articles. And if it's two definite articles, it means, the, according to the Granville Shop rule, you have two different beings. God and Yahushua, who is our Lord. And so if there are those who doubt that there are two beings being discussed in 1 verse 1 of 2 Peter, just go to 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. It explains to you two beings, God and Yahushua, who is our Lord. And so when we look at the grammar and the context of the passage, it's very clear. You cannot use 2 Peter 1 1 as a proof text to teach that Yahushua is God, right? Furthermore, like what we said, we look at the context, we look at the grammar, we also look at the Bible as a whole, right? To, to basically corroborate everything so that we can come to a unified conclusion based on all the different evidences that we have available to us. And so 2 Peter 1, 1 to 3, Corinthians and all the other episodes of Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, in every opening verse, the reading of all the episodes will show it's customary. When you open the verse, because 2 Peter 1, 1 to 2 is an opening of the verse. It's the beginning of the book, right? In every beginning of the book, it introduces both God and Christ at the opening of each one. And so when you look at it holistically, it's two beings, God and Christ. When you look at it based on the Greek structure, Greek grammar, there are two beings, God and Christ. When you look at the actual text and the context of the text, there are two beings, God and Christ. And so when you look at all the evidences, Beloved brethren, it does not teach that Yahushua is God. And so to kind of uh, basically wrap everything up for today, like I said, we cannot go through every different segment. But, you know, in future Bible studies, we're going to look at all of those segments presented by Dr. White and kind of appreciate how they think about it and also what our rebuttal would be, okay, in our future studies. But today, I think one of the reasons why people find it hard to kind of reject the Trinity belief 
is because when they read scriptures like Deuteronomy 6.4, and this passage, beloved brethren, is one of the most important passages of the scriptures called the Shema. It was alluded to by Brother Dean earlier when he was discussing about the Jewish religion, the Hebrew faith. Because when you look at the Hebrew faith, they believe in monotheism. And in their monotheism, they believe in one God. They believe in a God that is not Trinitarian. They believe in a God that is only one. And to demonstrate that, we have the Shema. Yahusha himself said the most important, the commandment in the Bible is the Shema. And it's right here. Here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And so here we have monotheism. However, a Trinitarian will look at this passage and say, wait, the Lord is composed of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because that's our idea of the Trinity. In one God, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So they will say the Lord God is composed of three persons. However, when you realize that the word Lord here is not a common noun. What kind of noun is it? The word Lord. What kind of noun is that? That's a proper noun. Why? Because it's actually a name. It's a name. It's not a proper noun. I mean, it's not a common noun. It's a name. It's not the Lord, meaning master. No. It actually is a name. And so when we look at this passage, and change the Lord to the actual name, the tetragrammaton. This is how it looks like. Here, O Israel, Yahuwah, our God. Yahuwah is one. And so when you look at it from this point of view, you have this idea that God is one, and that Yahuwah is one, and that Yahuwah is God. If you were to insist to Trinity, you know what that means? Yahuwah has three persons. Wait a minute, does Yahuwah have three persons? No. How can Yahuwah be also Yahushua? You have two different proper names, two different beings. Yahuwah is different from Yahushua, and the Bible says Yahuwah is God. And then the Ten Commandments accept no one else but Yahuwah to be your God. And so when you look at the Shema, which is the commandment Yahushua wants us to focus on, it clearly tells us, that Yahuwah, the Father, is the only true God. And it's clear here because it's a proper name. But when you read it like the Lord, then you can incorporate your Trinitarian ideas in there. But if you have a name, how can you do that? How can you incorporate your Trinitarian ideas in Yahuwah? Because you would make Yahuwah three different persons. You have Yahuwah the Father, Yahuwah the Son, Yahuwah the Holy Spirit, doesn't make any sense. There's only one God, that is Yahuwah, not Yahusha, not the Holy Spirit. So Deuteronomy 6 4, that's, that's really all you need to understand and grasp to debunk this idea of the Trinity. Okay? All right, that is our lesson for today. I know uh, we gave you a lot to think about, but hopefully, if you were a little bit confused with the grammar, you can go back and watch this episode. Again, as much as you need to. Anyways, thank you for joining us in our Bible study tonight. Before we go ahead and conclude, let us offer a prayer of thanks. Almighty and merciful Father, thank you so much, gracious Abba Yahuwah, for the blessings that you have given us, giving us the gift of knowledge, 
the gift of wisdom, the gift of the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, that we might preach and proclaim the truth about you, about your beloved Son. That, Father, by embracing your truth, more pathways of knowledge shall open before us and we can grow in a deeper relationship with you. Our King Yahushua, we ask that you please bless all your servants. Help us to be one with you and to be one with the Father. In our endeavor to share the truth, help us to be bold, yet to speak with love, that together these attributes will make us useful instruments of righteousness. Father, please forgive all our sins. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.